Hi pals, this is Blaine Hill with the Simply Stated Podcast. Question for you. Is there some ability or skill you're sure would be awesome to have? Maybe you've tried to get it and couldn't, but you're sure it would be amazing to have. Uh, long ago, I thought it would be, uh, I wanted to be able to play guitar, and I worked at it and I practiced. My trouble was, I did not have enough talent. Um, anyway, we're going to look at powers of a sort uh, in, in today's reading. This season of Simply Stated, we're reading Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Today, we're reading in chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many deeds of power in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Well, that is uh, certainly poking the eye with a sharp stick, really. Um, let's look at just the simple pieces of the passage. We're getting another antithesis from Jesus. The structure is not... But, we had a bunch of that in the Sermon on the Mount at the start. You have heard it said, but I say to you. So Jesus is contrasting. He uses the word Lord. Uh, in the first century, the word Lord was a title of honor. It was also a political term. It was used to describe Caesar. Uh, for the Jewish people, it also indicated the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the specific God of their forefathers and foremothers, in contrast to, say, Zeus or Aphrodite or uh, the Egyptian gods, uh, Isis and such, their God had a name as well, uh, and that name uh, was signified by the word Lord. Sorry there, lost my train of thought. The word was uh, Yahweh in Hebrew or something like Yahweh, but instead of saying the word to protect it, they would just use the word Lord. So that's a freighted term. A key point here is Jesus. that Jesus is saying uh, is that the one we obey is the Lord. Obedience. Okay, uh, what else is going on here? We can put quite simply, Jesus says, will enter on that day. So Jesus is clearly talking about the future. This is the sort of thing maybe we expect to hear Jesus talk about or expect to hear about in church. Uh, though we have noticed in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talking, been talking about our present. How do we behave now? Here he is shifting to speaking about the future. So while the kingdom of heaven had some sense of being present at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it's not the whole sense. Jesus is pointing to something in the future. The people that come to Jesus and call him Lord point out three kinds of actions. The action of prophecy, casting out demon, deeds of power in your name. And what's interesting is Jesus has no interest in spiritual fireworks. Uh, we, we may think the ability to do something is impressive, but Jesus doesn't really seem that impressed by it. Deeds of power in his name. He's just not interested in those kind of spiritual fireworks. If we were taking a little more time, we might jump ahead to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. There's a famous passage in which Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. 
And uh, the, both the sheep and goats are surprised uh, at their distinction. And it's based on uh, the love for other people who are in need, not spiritual fireworks. So Jesus is just not uh, concerned with, doesn't care about the sort of spiritual fireworks, the spiritual power, spiritual power that uh, these folks are so excited about. So what does Jesus want? What does Jesus make judgment upon? Well, he's laid out a large, robust plan for living in the Sermon of the Mount, of how we deal with conflict and how we uh, practice our religious life. Who uh, does God favor? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. He is laying out a pattern of life. And now towards the end, he's given us some images, an image of two gates and two paths. What's our course of life going to be? And then the second uh, one we looked at last week was tree and fruit. What actually bears fruit, Does offers the world something good, contributes to the world around it? Uh, that's how Jesus is, is evaluating. And that's a little confusing, let's face it, because these people say they prophesy, they cast out demons, they do deeds of power, but they are not the relationship building we've seen throughout um, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, basically, he's been telling people what's important, and, they, and, and he is imagining these people in the future coming back with spiritual fireworks. Well, that's not what I asked you to do because you don't really know me and I don't know you. Jesus concludes our reading today. He says, go away from me, you evildoers. Ouch. Here's a, here's a, here's a question. Do you have some names you would like to put on the go away list? I have a, uh, had, have a friend who's a very progressive Christian and she said, I would be a universalist. That's someone who believes everyone gets into the kingdom. I would be one, except there are people I don't want to include. She's a very honest person too. Candid, really. Sometimes too candid. But uh, before we, we, we just uh, shy away from what Jesus is uh, saying here, should we maybe recognize that this is just a very human uh, reaction? Why does Jesus use such obnoxious language? Well, some people like, maybe need to be scared or scolded. I'm not sure that's what Jesus is doing. I think he is trying to get our attention for a critical issue. Uh, Here, evildoers, the word evildoers means anti-law. It's not just that they've done bad things, but they are in opposition to the structure God is leading us Uh, to use for our life. Jesus' criticism is that they fail to obey his teaching. So that leads us through what the words of the passage mean. And now we we can look at, let's try to look at it a little deeper. Um, I'd like to ask you to think, what are some common descriptions and some uh, cultural understandings of the last judgment? They're often not true, uh, I think we're not it, certainly not biblical, uh, but th- there are a lot of different understandings that people have of the last judgment, and that's what Jesus is pointing to here. Whether he is using that as a, a image to get our attention, or speaking about an event in the future, which which he seems to do. What what are some images? Well, uh, the first one is probably nothing. Uh, that people don't consider the final judgment in any practical sense, and don't think there is one. Uh, so I, I think that's a very popular cultural one. The uh, Another one, uh, and you could pause this here to think a little bit about what, what, just give yourself a little time to think, but another one, another vision of the last judgment is that we're judged 
uh, by whether or not we're a decent sort of person. That, you know, are we within one standard deviation of a, uh, of a person? Are we close enough to pretty good? Um, of course, that leaves out grace and is problematic. That, there's the image of a ledger book of good and bad deeds. I think it, uh, the religion of Islam may, may contribute some of that idea, but I'm not certain about that, so um, I'm, I'm not going to stand on it. Um, I, can, I can remember seeing some cartoons with something like that at, as a kid. Um, the, uh, so those are some common pictures that we have of the Last Judgment. There's some in uh, Matthew as well, the separating of the good sheep from the bad sheep, sheep and goats. And it's kind of interesting to, um, to contrast Jesus' picture here or his words here, go away from me, I didn't know you. And later in the Gospel of Matthew, he's going to preach this. This is in chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So there's a really gentle, loving call to come to him uh, that seems so different from this, uh, the reading that we have today. Uh, maybe we'll get a chance to unpack that in the future. So uh, I asked you to think a little bit of what are some common uh, understandings of the last judgment. And then I want to ask, how do verses 21 to 23 inform Christian understanding of the final judgment? Um, you know, do, do, how, how should these verses cause us to think about when God brings creation to its uh, final point? Uh, it's, it's a very difficult subject to think uh, maturely or intelligently about because we know so little. But how do these verses impact it? You know, is it's not simply spiritual uh, work that draws us close to Christ. It's knowing Him and being known by Him that is essential. Um, and and perhaps this phrase "I did not know you" gives insight into the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe living in the way Jesus has taught. And believing in the blessings that he proclaims is, how, is, is part of the way that we get close to Jesus and live a life with our heart close to his. That by choosing to, to live out his teaching, we are drawn closer to him. Um, here's a, a thought I, I want to put down for you and just to consider. I mentioned this a little while ago. There are at least two ways to think about uh, the final judgment, so to speak. The first is that it is simply an event in the future, probably when uh, God brings creation to its conclusion, to its proper goal. And then in, in that end, there will be some sort of evaluation and judgment. And, and here, if it is that event in the future, it is, uh, it is the intimacy with Jesus uh, that seems to be the key feature. There is another way to think about the final judgment as well, that it is a, uh, an image used by Jesus in speaking. Uh, it uses the future and the imagination to speak actually about the present. The idea that uh, Jesus is talking about something in the future to have impact 
on how we think about our, how we take in his teaching and his preaching. Um, there are lots of Christians that would favor one much more than the other, but um, I wanted to lay those before you. Here's something deeply puzzling in the passage. The people who Jesus rejects, they are centered on Christ in their doctrine. They say, Lord, Lord, and they are spiritually gifted. He doesn't contest what they have done. But they don't really indicate that they have obeyed Jesus. They sure are impressed with their own devotion and their own success. But they don't seem to demonstrate the beatitudes, the the pronouncement of blessing that starts the Sermon of the Mount. Do they hunger and thirst for power, but not hunger and thirst for righteousness? So that's that's a um, there's something deeply puzzling puzzling in the idea that they they have right doctrine, and they have uh, they're spiritually charismatic. They have gifts, but they don't really know Jesus. They believe that they know Jesus, but they apparently never gave him a chance to know them. I really never really knew you. That is, they never gave him a chance to come into personal contact with their, with their innermost life. That's what the biblical word no means. It is strangely possible to serve and even to glorify Christ and yet in one's own personal life not obey him. Those words come from Bruner, a commentator that I've often used in this series. So, to close, uh, I want to issue you an invitation to follow Jesus himself, uh, to trust in the person of Jesus, to adopt his teaching, not simply as instruction, but as part of your relationship with the resurrected and living Jesus Christ. So, uh, now, he will be someone that knows you, and in the future, when God brings his creation to its final and glorious point. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this is helpful. If there's any way I can be more helpful, if you uh, want to know about something, have a question, surely reach out to me and I'll I'll see if I can help out. Let's close with a prayer to uh, send you on your day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray uh, that we would heed the teaching of Jesus, not simply as a guide and instruction, but a word from a loving Lord, who we know and who knows us. Guide us this day and allow us to live as your Son teaches us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.